Hello, what's good? What's poppin'? Rich Ryan here, Reinforced Running Podcast. We are back. And by we, I mean myself and Jack Bauer. And today we are talking about OCR stars. So first, I want to thank you guys who have been listening and who have been hitting us up, giving us feedback about the workouts, giving us feedback about the episodes. We love hearing from you. It makes it even much more fun than it already has been. So keep it coming. And this is the last week of OCR stars as we head into week four of competition. I'm definitely bummed that it's going to be ending. It has been so incredibly fun to participate in this, but I'm also ready. I'm ready for it to be over. I'm ready to move into the next stages of training, whatever that does look like. So in this episode, we do a recap on the six mile run and we talk about some of the strategies moving forward for the last workout called Burpee Mountain. All right, cool. So before we get into the nuts and bolts of things, I want to give you guys a reminder that the OCR strength and conditioning coaching available here at Reinforced Running is live and is going. So in this program, it gives you directions on how to get stronger for OCR using targeted workouts that will help your grip endurance and your carry strength while staying fast. It's merely $19 a month and you can get started today or uh, or on Monday since uh, OCR stars will be over then. So just another way to kind of kick things off and keep things moving. Cool. So check that out with the link in the show notes. And with that, we are on. Here is my good friend, Jack Bauer. Oh, yeah. I saw a whole list of what they done. It was, well, Marcus All. I saw. Yeah, that, that was who it was. Yep. Yeah. Dennis Schroeder, which is, gonna, which is really pretty big. It's like just an upgrade yeah. on, on Rondo um, just for the season long. So they're going to be good again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, cool. Well, we're here to talk about OCR and OCR stars. <laughs> that was basketball intro. Now we're going basketball back to the OCR intro. stuff. Now we're here. So, Jack, how are you feeling, man? What's going on with the Achilles? Give us a, an Achilles update. So, I actually talked with Kevin Riggy. You, you remember him? He tore, yeah, his, or, uh, tore his Achilles at Tough Mudder X Championship two years ago after getting third and beating basically everybody except Atkins and Hunter the year before at the championship. Which is so, crazy because... I had no idea who he was at yeah, that point. Yeah, exactly. It just goes to show you that there are a lot of freak athletes out there who you yeah. just don't realize how good they are until they find their specialty, which uh, I don't want to get sidetracked on this, but that just shows you if you allow for specialization instead of you have to be a jack of all trades, that's when you can see success for people. Instead of being like, you have to run a beast plus a sprint and like be good at mm-hmm. everything in the U.S. series, it's like, hey, Kevin Riggi's good at Tough Mudder X style. He's going to focus on that and look what happened when, when you can focus on stuff like that. But right. anyway, if, if anybody has uh, experience on what, like overcoming an injury, especially an Achilles injury, figured it's him literally been through a couple of years of rehab and stuff. So he, uh, we, we talked on the phone for like 40 minutes and he gave me everything that I needed to know more in terms of the rehab. I was doing a lot of the things right. Um, based on what my chiropractor had been doing and stuff. Um, there was a couple things that he told me to avoid doing that I was, a lot of people think that rowing is good when you have an Achilles injury. It's actually bad. Um, I wasn't aware. Just, why? Cause like the shortening and the stretching again. Exactly. On your, on your Achilles. So I, I was doing that as cross training. Um, and he, he said, you should probably avoid that for a little while. Incline walking. I, I figured lower impact, but I mean, when you think Same about thing, it, it's literally, it, it, yeah, it's, it's just causing that. You did say stairmaster when you, um, if you can kind of focus on using your butt instead of your your quads and like having more of a runner's turnover. So if you kind of are stepping up instead of up and forward, that that's huh. totally okay. So I, I've kind of been living on the stairmaster for the past week, just like just literally stepping up at a lower speed because I'm too nervous to like go a little a little faster. But some of the rehab drills that guy told me are just amazing. So if I if I get back to normal faster than uh, expected, it's it's definitely because of 
because of Kevin's advice and stuff. And he nice. also told me um, dry needling, which is what I've been doing, is super good. Uh, so I'm glad I've been doing that. And I had a really painful session with my chiropractor on Friday. So hopefully <laughs> it's going feel- in the right direction. With that, I've never had that done. Is there immediate relief? Or is it yes, like without question? I, yeah. I walked into into there and I still I woke up with that pulsing feeling like an hour or so later. It was still there when I was in uh, or you know when I was walking into the office and I finally get in there and he literally puts the needle into my Achilles and it's not a pleasant experience. It's it's definitely like on the pain scale, not crazy, but it, it would be like you know you you put your hand on the stove, you're like oh crap, like that that type of you want to flinch, but you know you probably shouldn't type of pain. Um, and yeah, as soon as I walked out of there, I was walking back to my car normal. I'm like, what do I have an Achilles issue? But I, I knew obviously you don't want to just go right back into it and stuff, but it did it, did it come back? Like, does it, so, so actually what Kevin told me to do was run, uh, about half mile just to kind of see things and, or see how things are going and then don't run the next day. And then maybe add a half mile or a couple minutes every single day until you, you can run like a 5k. And then as soon as you do that do a 5k and on, you know, for one of your days and then start another day running half mile, then a mile. So it's going to take a, you know, several weeks to build up, but that's kind of how you build back into it. You're going really slow. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm probably not going to be back to, you know, my normal 40 ish miles a week for a few months. Um, just, just listening to him. Cause I know I probably could fake my way through it, but what's the point at this time? And I can stay fit other ways. So you don't want that thing to linger around. No, that's, real really a shitty one to have like nagging so if you yeah. can get in front of it it's definitely so yeah you're, so you're not gonna do burpee mountain no i well just think of all the impact landing on just on up that. and down jumping and landing yeah constantly. I, yeah but let me tell you just watching all the the fast times on on the results board and stuff and just seeing instagram videos from people posting it, it it i am so pumped to try this out once everything heals just to kind of see where i would have stacked up but yeah, there were some fast times, uh, especially by you. Let's just let's do a little humble brag right there for you. Humble brag, yeah, man. I'm yeah. excited. I uh, put all the pieces together really well to go into this race. I did really approach it like it was my A race for a season, so it was mm-hmm. kind of like a taper down. Like the whole week was pretty much focused on this. I got a massage that day. I just made sure, I, like, not that day, that week, and just. Scoped out a place that I thought would go really well. Got there before early in the morning before the wind could really kind of kick up and then just had a plan and just executed. So, so, so what were your splits on that? I saw your, your last one, but I don't know how the rest of it went. So my plan was to start around like 510, like I like 508, 509, and then drop things down. Uh, I figured that would feel comfortable. And then as I came closer to the second half, I'd be able to drop things down even further. But as I started running, it was just, I just felt so comfortable and so easy that I just couldn't justify running a 509. So my first one was a, a 457. And then oh, that's a big difference right there. I know. I know. Yeah. And like, I figured as I started, I was going to run like if I, I knew if I was in like the first quarter mile, that whatever my pace was at that first quarter mile, that's probably what I was going to stick with. And I wasn't going to be able to really drop things off. So I was really kind of pumping the brakes, but I was still like in that area. I was still like, you know, 457, 458. So I just was like, all right, well, we're just going to be here. And the second mile, I was able to drop back to, to five minutes. And then I was, again, like a 458. And then a 457, 454 and then a 447 to finish was there any elevation gain in this or just flat of the pancake it's pretty flat i mean i think if there was 
on the loop. Like there was a, there, it was slight rolling on some places, but so it wasn't like off track, but it was like grad, like real gradual on really small stretches of ups and downs. Um, so pretty much just flat. Yeah. What was, so if, what if, was... if we look at the, uh, the, the mile results. So if you decided like, I'm going to do a fast five mile warm up, which I would argue that most people do an average sub five minute pace for a five mile warm up. That's a good warm up. Uh, <laughs> you, you still would have been right around 25th in the mile with your 447 last mile right there. So, Oh yeah. I meant but, to look at that. Your running's in a good place. Yeah. So, I mean, that is the benefit of having, uh, several months of no gym access and I have no car, so I had no real trail access. So I was just running, I've been running flat for yep. a long, long time. Th- this, this one had your name calling it. It did. It, it really did. And after the, um, 10 mile, like kind of time trial I did about a month prior, which where I was running like 507, 508 for 10, I figured I was in a pretty good spot and I wasn't sure how my fitness was going to maintain because there wasn't too much training or building leading into this because it's, I've been essentially tapering for like five weeks now. So I couldn't really have any type of like buildup or really focus on any heavy fatigue build. So I was not 100% sure how this would go, but going into it, I think I had like five minutes. I think that was really reasonable and mm-hmm. if i was able to drop it on the last two like i was able to i was able to kind of I, I figured i'd be able to, to pull out a good score so i'm glad that i went under under 30 yeah definitely no, happy you, with you, that you definitely crushed it so uh, it, so based on your strategy you definitely went into it with the goal of negative splitting right i did okay yeah. so you would argue that that's by far if you're going to try to run a, a race like this you should always try to negative split it most likely right yeah, unless you have really specific pacing that you're a, that you're confident in hitting and you want to just be even the entire time. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty long race. You yeah. know, and so it's not like a 5k where you want to f- where you're you're going to be feeling that discomfort within like for after like 10 minutes like of extreme discomfort. Like you really want to make sure those first 3 miles were r- relatively relaxed. Yeah. And it felt easy. The first 2 miles felt actually easy. Yeah. How, how do you mm-hmm. think that even pacing like this would carry over to the OCR? course just because a lot of times you, you you can't lose contact early on or your script you'll just never make it up just to how different it is like why does that not work in ocr i don't i think i think it is just the the way that the obstacles and carries will just build fatigue and how things kind of it's really unpredictable on when things are going to get when you're going to get tired yeah so in obstacle course racing you just kind of have to go out and go out hard or is that pretty much how you what you felt as well like if you're not going out there you're just going to leave time like places on the table yeah, my, my best races that I've ever had are the ones where I was like, this is so stupid. It would be like if I'm in, if you say you're in five minute mile shape and you should run a 230 back to back for each of the half miles, it's like, you know what? I'm going to go at a 210 pace. It, like that, it's the stupidity that ends up working. And you, you still probably run around what you would have run if you did even splits. You're just getting out hot and then dying a slow death <clears throat> towards the end. But you have to do it if you want to maintain contact because it's just so difficult to know when you can make up your move, even if you look at the course map. And the way that the things kind of contract and then expand when you get into obstacles or when you get into the woods, like you do have to kind of be around people. Do you think it's a byproduct of the athletes who are running it or a byproduct of the races why people go out so aggressive and just hang on? Because, I mean – Atkins is known to kind of pick it up in the second half of a race, right? I don't think anyone else has that reputation. No, <laughs> to, I, 
Killian is always right at the front. Cody always makes sure that he's up there at the front, especially on a climb. But Hobie, he'd sort of do the same thing as Atkins. He picked his points, and then he's like, all right, now game over for you guys. Um, I feel like Ryan Kempson goes out hot all the time. Johnny Woods goes was, out hot. Yeah, Johnny wasn't in the lead at Big Bear or Utah, but like he knew when he was picking his points at the top of the hills. Um, right. But but yeah, I, I do feel like in general, it's you, you just have to go out and – it kind of is stupid. It's just sort of always been like that. And I think that a lot of people would agree that they wish it wasn't like that, but they sort of have to um, just because you don't know where you can make up your, your move. And a lot of times they send you in single track pretty early on. Right. And if you're stuck behind someone who's not as good at technical terrain, you're going to lose way more time than you would have by burning out. And you just have no idea what's happening in front of you. Like if you're not there, you don't know what's going on. Yeah. So it's like hard to react to a race when it's time to start racing 20 minutes into the race, if you can't see what's, what's happening in, in, in the actual race itself. So it's definitely to your advantage to be in and around the competition, but it would be nice to have that confidence that, uh, like an Atkins has, or a Hobie has where it's like, doesn't matter what's happening in front of me. I know my fitness. And if I get to this point, I'm going to be able to really drop the hammer and finish strong because at like the, for like the 10k like that's exactly what i did i just was confident in where i would need to be and was able to really kind of push and, and make up a lot of time without needing to be exactly even to get to this point of the, of the final uh, of the finish line so it would be nice to have that confidence but it just seems so hard and i wonder if that's what the case because i don't know how high-end trail racers behave <laughs> if it's similar as well, like obstacle course racing. I, I know I have a couple ultra friends and they tell me like one of them got top 25 at Leadville and in town uh, or Leadville 100, which is one of the, the biggest ultra races in the country. Mm-hmm. And he said, if you think you're going out too slow, you're going out too fast. That's kind of the, the rule of thumb for like those for ultra, ultra events. Like yeah. you can't go out too slow enough because people are going to crash and burn. And if you have more energy than them, cause you, you were a little conservative, it's probably going to pay off more times than not. Um, but the, the reason I was asking you that question I think that a lot of runners who who place really well in this competition actually have that nature where like they want to go out slow. So I looked at uh, the top 15 times and only three of them had worse. So if you look at like your average time and then your last mile time, only three of the top uh, 16 or 17 people on the men's side ran more than a second slower per mile in their last mile than their average pace. So almost every single person closed hard. And um, uh, we're looking at like Hunter, he, he closed 24 seconds faster than on his last mile than his average pace. Josh Fry, 15 and a half seconds. You eight seconds. Uh, Like Sean Stevens whale was pretty much the only guy who did more than like five or so seconds slower on his last mile. He was 15 seconds. So he was clearly trying to go for the he the hit hard up front or, or the kill yeah. in that one but <laughs> right in general most people which is sort of what i predicted because in ocr you're really good at having like that second third gear but not really much above it i think most people just kind of stayed really consistent just based on the data yeah and and within a race that is an unfamiliar distance it's better to kind of be conservative and uh, i'd imagine a lot of people kind of had that in mind it's like let me just see what this first mile is and just not blow up because it's a it's too long of a race to go out and kill yourself in that first mile Mm-hmm. It, like you're not going to be able to like, just hang on. Yeah. It, and it, like, I feel bad for a lot of people. Like I, I know Chris Woolley, for instance, he, he was sitting in first place heading into it. Do you know what happened mm-hmm. with them? Uh, no. Why don't you so give he us did, I, I was talking with him like throughout the week. Cause he, he wanted to do a redo. He did it first day just to get a score on the board. 
Um, and he was like, man, it was 75% humidity, 70 something degrees. It was just the summer too down hot. there. Yeah. It, yeah. Cause it, it was south of the equator. Exactly. It, it would be like roughly May or June where we're at. And that's not a good time to run a fast time. Huh. Um, and so, so we were trying to figure out like, Hey, what was the best time of day? What's your temperature adjustment? Cause they have some calculators like that. And he's like, all right, I'm going to wait until Saturday, which or Sunday, which is Saturday here, um, to redo his last attempt. <laughs> Guess what the weather was? Was it like even hotter? Was it like 90 degrees? 100% humidity at 70 degrees. And it's like he dropped out at four miles in. He's like, I, I can't deal with it. And the temperature conversion, it, it would be like running in these conditions or at your normal time is going to cost you almost two and a half minutes just because it's so humid and you, you can't run fast. So he definitely is in better shape than the 3354 would show. But you can't really do, you can't do anything about it because that's the weather and, you know. It is yeah. what it is. So I, I feel bad for him where he's going to need sort of a miracle to finish on the podium, even though he probably would have been at least a minute faster on his run, but it right. is what it is. And considering how well he ran in the mile, like his time doesn't, doesn't translate. over. Exactly. Him. Yeah. So he, he was one of the surprises there. He, I think he said he went out in 1640 for a 5k and then ended up finishing like close to 18 minutes for his second, second yeah. half. So that's a, that's a painful death. That's rough. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in humidity. Like, when it's humid like that, it's like you're dying because you maybe went out too hard and the weather is just pulling it out of you. Like it's not coming back at that point. Yeah. That's hard. That's, yeah. that's tough. So, so I guess looking at the rest of the men's results and we'll go to the women after who surprised you, who, who in a good way, in a bad way, like just, just curious what your takes were. So I did not know who Andrew Leonard was. Um, and judging off of who ended up in second, he ran 30-22, which is a really fast time. And his mile time was like only 4.51. He, he averaged five Oh threes for this, for the six mile. And he only ran a four fifty two. And I was like, this doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem like it, it kind of stacks up. I did look him up on athletics and he has like a two eighteen full. Yeah. He, he and, missed the Olympic trials by like a minute. Yeah. <laughs> just in Houston, this Pat, like just this year. Yeah. And then he also ran like a, he also was under 15 minutes in a five K in the beginning of the year as well. I was like, Oh, okay. This guy, this is a runner who's just kind of getting into obstacle course racing yeah. at this point. So that was surprising, but it, 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 it adds up. Yeah, it didn't pass the sniff test until you did some digging. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I was like, oh, yeah. okay, never mind. Yeah, um, I believe it. <laughs> you know, Forrest did an awesome job of keeping himself in contention. I was surprised. I was pr- surprised that he was able to run as well as he did for this. I didn't think he had wheels like that for that long. He, no. He's super he, unbelievable climber. Um, but being good at climbing doesn't necessarily translate to the flats. So that really surprised me a little bit. Yeah, and he's uh he's a gamer, so I probably just kind of put himself there. He's like, hey, I got to do what I need to do, yep. um, and just being really competitive and wants to win this thing. So he did a great job doing that, uh, sticking his nose in it, um, and and plugging away. I mean, how about Woods? Give it up. Were you a little surprised? Not super surprised. Just based off of his post that he made earlier in the week, he did run at Savage. He didn't seem very confident. Um, I look and at it. A, at, he did an adventure race also that week, so yeah, he's not fresh. He's not fresh. This definitely isn't his focus. I looked at his Strava. It looks like he went out in like five oh five and then just kind of backed and just kind of called it. And just like yeah. I'm just gonna cruise it in and like gonna get you know, some five twenties or whatever. Yeah, I'm just gonna put yeah. it up here. Props to him for doing that. Um, I was surprised that uh VJ and Kent decided to not run. Um, you know, they're definitely not in position to get themselves on the podium. Uh I think even if they were even if VJ ran faster than I did, he would still be in hard pressed to get to the podium. Um, Kent the same way. I think they would have put out solid times. They probably would have been under in the 31s. I'd say. Yeah, I agree. Uh, DJ may be a little faster. 
Yeah, I think they would have both been like in that top five, uh, top five, top six. Mm-hmm. Um, it could have put, it it could definitely have like I'm annoyed that they didn't run because it could have helped my results in the, in terms of the overall if they Spacing. slide in. Yeah, yeah, if they slide in front of Forrest and they slide in front of uh, Sean, Sergey. like yeah, or Sergey, yeah, like it puts me close to the top and it puts me close to the podium. Um, but. I- I don't know, like, but I, I don't know why they didn't run. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I know VJ raced twice the week before, and they're both at altitude. Yeah, um, so yeah. I think that probably had a little bit to do with it. Yeah, the the guy who got third place, Lars Arneson, he's in Alaska, and Taylor Turney told me that he was planning on doing Seattle and maybe one other U.S. National Series race this past year. He's a phenomenal trail runner out there, and he just got third in this, so he could be a name to watch this upcoming year if he, you know, d- does some grip stuff in the meantime. I think he's buddies with uh, Chad Trammell, who I was also a little surprised didn't run as fast. After he ran a 427, I was just like, what? But who knows yeah. how fresh he was. Because Lars also ran a 427 earlier, so I figured mm. he would be in the mix. And uh, yeah, he, who knows what the, what their actual plan was going yeah. forward. Veerman 33 flat at altitude is pretty impressive. Solid. Really, and shouts to him, too, just going after it. And he like, is putting is doing is taking advantage of this opportunity to push himself for each and every event and, and get out of his comfort zone. And, you know, he's not going to win, but he's still out there. They're putting it, uh, putting it down. So shout to him for sure for doing that. Um, yep. One other just, guy that we, we finally solved the mystery on who Ivan Degtiarev is. Yes. Um, so I, I went on some, sketch, some sketchy Russian websites because I was like, I, I have to know who this guy is. And I found out some of his background and stuff, um, and I saw him tagged in a post, but his his handle doesn't make it look like that would be what his name is, so I, so I wasn't able to find him right away. Um, but anyway, he's run a 150, 800 meters on the track. You're, you're a track guy also. Like, that's basically the equivalent of a four-minute mile. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Um, so, so he's clearly a, a really good fast twitch guy. Um, I, I mean, just he, he was in the 32, 32, 46. That's pretty legit for someone who, you know, probably is more on the fast twitch side. Um, but I didn't realize he ended up getting 14th at OCR worlds last year. And he was only about 30 seconds behind woods in the OCR worlds. Three K three K. Um, and he's had, he got 11th at the European championships and he got 21st at OCR worlds 15 K last year. So he, he's definitely, emerging he's been on like the russian local scene but last year was his first like now i'm facing the big guys type of thing and he's clearly making a name for himself uh in this competition right now sitting in fifth place yeah put him on the names to watch he's got to be i mean a 150 guy making the transition in uh to obstacle course racing has already had some relative success so definitely talented definitely one to look out for i don't think anybody in ocr has run that fast (sighs) for a half what it bracken was like a 152 guy and, and Ian, Ian Kasky was like that too, I think. He was oh, that. yeah, no, Ian definitely is overlooked a lot of times with that kind of speed. For so. speed, he's like real fast. He has some high-end uh, output for something as short as a half. Yeah. Um. So, Brecken ran 152? Yeah, he did. Oh, wow. Call that guy's got wheels. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he does. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I mean, overall, just I'm just a little, little bummed personally that – some of the top athletes didn't didn't show out for this. Um, yeah, you, but, you said uh, you you bet a lot of people would be in that like five thirty to five forty range, right? Yeah, I think so we to break the top but, ten. Were we right on that? Uh, to break the top, Josh 10, Fry was twenty two. Yeah, 527 and change was the the tenth. So that was right around there. And we had between five thirty and five forty eight. We had uh, 
30 guys, or 20 guys who, who average that pace for their, for their six mile run. So that, that's a pretty tight pack realistically. So what are your thoughts overall? Like how people kind of how this played out for obstacle course racers running flat six miles. I think it's a good test. I, I mean, Florida for or Jacksonville, for instance, is probably the flattest course. It's a super, super is about six miles. Uh, you need wheels to do well there. And I, I mean, it, it's good to get off the hills and actually get some turnover for once. Um, and it kind of forces you to get into that mindset. You're like, this is going to suck for over half an hour unless you're rich Ryan. Um, <laughs> can you actually deal with the pain? And like, if, if you go out too hot on your first 5k, are you, are you just going to cave in and, you know, just, just settle for a mediocre score relative to what you could have got. But I, I feel like it's that distance where you can't fake it. And right. it was a good reflection of, you know, where people are in fitness. No, and like nothing is going to save you on a six mile run, like how on the on an obstacle course race, if you fall behind or a trail race, there's something like a technical spot that you might be able to make up room or a really steep climb that you may have an advantage. Like there's nothing like that happening in a six mile flat race. And I think that's why people don't like it because it is just straight output. And they're like, well, in, our, in an obstacle course race, there's these other factors, but nothing's going to save you. You just have to like sit there and just take it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You can't just hope that someone's going to, you know, roll an ankle or that's not going to happen. And most people are probably going to be a little conservative. So it just, it, you just have to be gutsy and, but smart in this race. And I, I personally think this is a better reflection of OCR success than the mile. Yeah. The mile is really specialized and, and even the, so like going back and looking, like doing those calculations in terms of a, a translator, that uh, that we talked about in the previous episode, like putting your time in and seeing what they would what it would look like a conversion chart. Like my time for this, which was like twenty, which was twenty nine thirty two, would translate into like a four fourteen or something, and I wasn't even close to that. <laughs> so like you need to be so specialized in a mile to really take advantage of your fitness. That uh, it, it's it's really hard to to judge any type of OCR success in something like that. Yeah. I'm actually running the numbers right now. If you want to know, um, so it looks like almost, so the average for like the top 30, 40 people, uh, or actually everybody who ran the 10 K versus their mile on average, their 10 K pace was 21% slower than their one mile pace. That's like across the field for the men. Okay. Um, and, and on the women's side or on, uh, the, the men's side for the top 20, we'll get to the women after that. Um, it's 15%. So at the top, you can hold your, your peak speed a little bit better versus towards the bottom. So pretty much everybody who averaged 545 or so faster is about 15% slower for the six mile pace at 545 than they would be in their mile. Hmm. That's interesting. How do you think that shakes out uh, uh, with like a typical runner? Like, a. Yeah, so so I probably like on the calculator. What what would the calculator say? Like the percentage difference on the conversion chart. Yeah, I'll, I'll look that would be interesting, quick. right? Like what it would be in terms of like uh, how a runner would stack up and and how the output that they can maintain or what they can de- delve into as opposed yeah. to an obstacle course racer who needs like the wider range of fitness and seeing like how those things kind of vary. Yeah, so if I if I put in like a thirty four flat six mile. Cause I was like pretty competitive in this one. Um, yeah. it says that, the, so that would be, uh, 540 pace. And then their 1600 time would be a 446. Um, that's an 18% difference and we're showing 15% difference. So I, I think that 
OCR no, athletes just don't have the top end speed, so that that gives them the the few percent in that direction, like holding their top end speed. Now, do you think if this stretched, if like say there was a test next week and it was a marathon, do you think it would that gap would shrink, or do you think it would expand further? How do you think pe- the OCR racers would perform better at, at a road race like that, or worse? Mar- marathon's too specialized. If you're not ready for it, you're not gonna you're gonna fall apart. Um, but I think that everybody, if you can run a, a six mile, you can run a mile, but you can't necessarily run a full marathon unless you're specifically training towards it. I think a half marathon maybe yeah. would translate pretty well, but that's probably where your you know 18% difference as opposed to 15% difference would come into play. Hmm. Yeah, that'd be interesting to see because you're right. Like it, marathon's too specialized. Where, where do you think that that cliff is? Probably right at like a right 15 about an mile race or something like a 25k or something like that. Yeah, uh, probably slightly after an hour. Just because we're that? not used to running unbroken, I guess. So this is like you, you're literally just one foot in front of the other. Nothing in your way. No walls. No heavy carries. Nothing like that. Like how long can you hold that that good form for? Yeah. So yeah. let's talk about the women. Yeah, speak, speaking of good form, did you see that video that Spartan posted on of Rebecca Hammond? Just cruising, looking great. That it, she has such good running form, like that. It made me jealous, and and Rich Diaz even commented on it, like perfect form or something like that, or you look it's, like a robot. So if he's it's, saying it's perfect, then and I don't know if that's something she's worked on. And I've never seen her run on flats or on the track, but she's had so many injuries, so it's like interesting that she can look like that and look so efficient and be so smooth. So I know that she did give some credit to uh, some people in her post, like uh, cruise elite, which helps more of like movement and not necessarily running form. And I'm not sure who the other person that she gave credit to uh, for her being able to kind of get back and running that way because she still gets hurt a lot. And you would think someone who runs like that would just be like cruising, chilling, could do whatever they wanted. Yeah, without question, though, like she, you know how a lot of people are like, oh, Galen Roth or Bernard Lagat, they just have like their head fixed on a certain point, and you know there's no wasted movement in there. Great arm swing. That was what Rebecca Hammond looked like during during that run. And I know that she didn't win the uh, the six miles. She ended up getting fourth in it. But in terms of like OCR athletes who you know we're typically seeing, I know the the three women who beat her are definitely more in the running category um, at this point in their career. But Rebecca, like in, in terms of runners, I don't think that they're really. Uh, can, can you think of any runners on the women's side who look more fluid than that? I've never seen Nicole on a. Oh, she, actually, Nicole, yeah. She, I've never seen her on flats, though. I would imagine oh, she, she looks smooth. She has that Hobie turnover where it looks like she's just, you know, just 190 steps a minute. I don't know what it actually is, but like her, her turnover just looks a lot quicker than everybody else's, no matter how yeah. fatigued she's getting. So Rebecca's is like smooth and just like yeah. floating over the air. And Faye is much more of like a power runner where mm-hmm. it always looks like she's like, you know, tying up in the last 400 of a race, but still manages to, to hold it. But that's just her form. You can't really do anything about yeah, that. She's kind of like tilted off to the yeah, side yeah. sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know. I mean, uh, Rebecca Hammond was a high, high end miler at, for division three. So she, yeah. I think she was all American, right? So, I mean, like she has the ability to really turn things over. So I, she competed in like the semi pro circuit in Europe, I believe for a little, like, I don't know how many races she did, but I know that she ran like a few pretty competitive races over there at one point. Yeah. So she has that in her, like to get set on something straight and just cruise. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think that she's just building back. So her ending up fourth after getting second in the mile, I think she was happy with and um, yep. there, cause I don't think she had too much volume and you know, this isn't an extremely long race, but to 
to really perform well you, you at a at like a 10k distance you're going to need to put some put some volume in to really to really mm-hmm. hit it well yep and so, so yeah, the, let, let, let's look at the uh, the top three women i know that most people <laughs> aren't aren't familiar with them but the same woman who ended up winning the mile in 456 ran a 3236 lanny marchant from canada uh that that's fast that is fast <laughs> yeah, that would have her 3246 that would have ended up being tied for 10th on the men's side that's as fast as hunter ran just to give everybody a little perspective wow yeah that that is some really strong perspective and hunter was impressive i was impressed yeah, oh, yeah. 208 he pounds he weighed himself before that like that no one's doing that on the planet no. besides him that that's super impressive but yeah i <laughs> how, how much how fast do you think you could run if you ballooned up to 208 to 208 yeah or you know your equivalent bmi because hunter 62 you're 62 uh, yeah, yeah you're close six to foot. That, I'd probably but... be like, yeah like i don't know 198 say yeah. um i don't know that is an interesting question i'd hope that fast but yeah i yeah. don't know I, I have no idea what it'd feel like to be that muscular and, and run for that yeah. that type of distance <laughs> exactly but but yeah so lanny just on a different level she basically won the event by a minute 45 um closed in a 526 mile so she was just cruising in at that point i'm sure she was well aware that she was gonna get an easy win in this event um, and and, to, yeah i mean making money she's out here getting yeah. wins it's two is, event she, is she the one her. is she the one who paced uh bethany mcchesney earlier I, I think that was the story. I think you had mentioned something like that. She yeah, yeah. I, I, and... I forget if it was her or Amanda Nadeau who who got paced. But based on Bethany's really fast time in this, actually, Bethany was only two seconds slower than Rebecca um, at thirty seven fifteen, and she's she's been one of the underrated ones in Canada for several years. But because she's not Lindsay or Faye, no one really talks about her. Um, but she's she's definitely a, a really talented runner there. So two seconds behind Rebecca, uh, that that's really impressive. But um, yeah, it was it was Lanny's race to win. Um, Sayer Tannis, I thought that i heard kirk mention her name on a podcast recently um i I thought there was a tannis something but maybe i'm I'm getting it confused but he said that there was a a high level runner who was going to be who started training with him and was going to be competing in ocr stars but i and it was just a a different name that they're used to hearing i Mm. don't know for sure if that was her but if it was uh 34 13 and if she if she ends up doing obstacle racing whoever sayer tannis is that's that's going to be a name to watch. Um, and I, I mean, but she didn't compete in either of the previous events. So I don't know if she was just eyeing this one up and, or she just caught wind of it last second and was like trying to grab an event win, but she didn't do gripper chipper or the mile. Uh, so just trying, that's to, true. trying to pop in. Yep. Um, and third place, Regina Lopez, I believe she was uh Spartan trail champion or she, she competed in, in that before. Um, but she's a, a really good trail runner. Uh, 35, 17. That's pretty impressive. But I think the battle that, that we were hyping up the, the other couple days ago, or I guess last week, was between Lauren Weeks and Ida for who's going to make some separation. And how did it go? They are deadlocked. <laughs> they did not separate at all. We thought Ida was going to put a little bit of space on her. That was my prediction. She ended up sixth, and Lauren Weeks is just doing what she's been doing and just held her own and finished eighth. So now they are both at the top with 15 points each going into the last event. And they both had so, very solid times. I mean, they're, they're averaging low sixes for, for that race uh, or for the six mile. But yeah, I, just, just like you mentioned, they're deadlocked. And I'm sorry, Ida, no one's beaten Lauren in this last event who's signed up so far. So uh, uh, Lauren, yeah. some catastrophic injury. I've seen what Lauren can do. I, she's, she's probably going to get like top 10 on the guy's side. She's that fit. 
You think so? Did she do that well? She's she's crazy good at, at movements like this. It might, I don't know if the, if they have to use a twenty four or a twenty for the box jumps. That might make a little bit of a difference. Yeah, um, use twenty. But, oh, it is twenty. Okay, so that that evens it out. Um, yeah. But yeah, that she, she's gonna she's gonna crush that. But bottom line, I, I was really impressed that um, both of them averaged you know six twenty or so, or, or a little faster for the the six miles. So really really impressive times there. And Faye Morgan, let's give her a shout out. Thirty seven forty seven. That's that's cruising. She's hanging in. Yeah, she's right in there, sixth place overall. She's doing doing great after um, coming back after Gripper Chipper and doing an yeah. awesome six miles. So yeah, well, she's in a really good spot. Sixth place. There are actually uh, four people tied. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> place right there. So so that's going to be a battle. So so let's we've got Lanny, who's probably not going to do too well because it looks like she isn't. She's definitely a runner as opposed to you know, used to doing burpees and box jump overs and stuff. Faye Morgan, we know she's going to do really well with that. Uh, mm-hmm. Nikki Johnson, she's one of the best racers in the UK. Um, and I believe she actually beat Susanna in a race last year, if I oh, remember wow. right. Um, granted, Susanna was coming back after childbirth, but still, you don't, Susanna is always one of the best in the sport. So if, if you beat her, you're, you're a really solid racer. Um, and then the other person is Katie Knight, who that's Hunter's girlfriend, is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think she probably so she probably got mixed up in that huge competition. They didn't, they didn't release that video; they just showed like a trailer of it. Yeah, but so she probably did this with a bunch of people around, which is going to help her score out. For who who would you who would you give the edge to out of those four? <sighs> probably Faye. Okay. Uh, just I was thinking Katie or Faye. The workout it's going to be this one. I think is the most OCR specific in terms of your climbing legs and your ability to do carries. I don't know how much training Katie Knight has done toward that. I mean, if Hunter is doing her training, she probably was prepared for Burby mountain specifically, which could help. Uh, but if it, in terms of like your OCR ability, uh, I think this is um, going to be a good one for Faye. Yeah. I, I think the two of them are going to separate versus the other two women that they're tied with. And I mean, sixth place that, that they could even catch fifth with, with the point spread right there. Uh, I, I think it's going to be, yeah, it it might be a little tough, but it's, it's still going to be, uh, a a cool thing having four people who are like, Hey, literally whoever does the best out of us, that's, who's going to end up at least in sixth place for that. Yeah. The women's race is tight and it's going to be compelling. I mean, we talked about the top race. It's really going to be whoever wins out of those two. It's going to be like a head to head competition. They should just do it like over, over zoom. And just do it at the same time, be head to head, make it a whole thing. Because uh, whoever wins that is going to win the, the entire event. But then yeah. there is definitely some room to mix up into that top three with Rebecca and Amanda Nadeau, which I don't ever pronounce right. Nadeau. Nadeau. So she, and she is definitely a strong better, great climber, and uh, I'm assuming good at carries as well. So she could make some moves on this. And depending on how healthy Rebecca has been and, and her ability to get into the gym to do a workout like this. Not sure. So she could she could move herself up into at least fourth, and Rebecca could probably catch Bethany if she has a good uh, a good Burpee Mountain. But what do you think? Do you think Bethany is safe at third here? So honestly, I'm not sure if there are enough women behind Bethany, or I guess behind Rebecca to um, to make up for those six points on yeah. Bethany. Um, I, I don't really know how how good of a functional athlete Bethany is. I know Rebecca definitely has a lot of um, like high rocks, explosive stuff in her past. And she's done burpees on some of the promotional Spartan videos and stuff. Um, but just based on how Bethany, she's got three top eight finishes in, in the other three workouts did really well. in gripper tripper, I have a feeling she's going to do pretty well. Uh, you probably will see women like uh, Kelly Sullivan and Tiffany Palmer move up the leaderboard. Um, 
who aren't they don't have the best placement at the moment. Um, but I, but I think that someone like Kelly, who definitely does a lot of CrossFit style training, is going to have a pretty big impact. She'll probably place a lot better than she has in the previous three events. And that's the thing when you're not in a battle here, there's going to be a different motivation to really push when this workout starts to suck or someone like Kelly or Tiffany, they, you know, they could win this event. Like if they really pull it out and Lauren has a, has a tough one or, or whoever the top has a tough go. So they will probably go pretty hard, but the women behind that who are kind of out of like lower than 10th place, I don't know if they'll be able to kind of mix in just based off of, uh, motivation alone. So I think Bethany Machesi might be in a good spot here. Yeah, she did really well in Gripper Chipper. She seems like a really strong competitor. So she may have third place locked up because nine, nine points, uh, Amanda's nine points away from from her. So that'd be a huge jump. And I I, I can't see that happening in, any, in yeah. any scenario. Yeah, but I mean, stuff stuff happened. You saw what happened with Chris Woolley where he just got really unlucky with the weather conditions and dropped like 20, place, or 20 points. So it can happen. Yeah, this is more of a controlled environment, at least. Totally. And so the compelling race here is definitely the top. (laughs) They're tied in first place going into it, and they pretty much have it locked up. And then that four-way battle for sixth place, I think it'll be cool. And they could potentially catch uh, Amanda in um, fifth uh, because only two points back from that. So a couple cool things to look out for here. And there also is prize money for the event win. So even if you're not like going to get on the overall podium or so, like, still worth your time trying to trying to do better. Um, even though in my opinion, I think Lauren's going to just walk away with this one pretty easily. We will see. And on the men's side, we didn't really talk about the overall. So how's that looking, looking on, on your end? What are, what are some of the compelling things we're looking at here? Yeah. So Sergey Paraligan, um, three time individual podiums at OCR worlds. He's, he's in first place. He's got 23 points. Then you have a tie, which honestly surprised me, Sean Stevens whale and Forrest Bogue. I didn't think that Sean had that like ability in him with gripper chipper. I thought that that was, he was a great runner. Every, everyone who pays attention to the sport knows that, but really impressive on gripper chipper. Uh, Forrest Bogue in second place is going to be really, really tough to beat. Uh, this is just one of those gritty workouts that kind of is designed for him. I know he's shorter, but anything that involves burpees, this guy is arguably the best in the sport. Um, he, he's like yeah. Isaiah level at burpees. And just loves these, uh, I guess, kind of AMRAP workouts. And then you're in fourth. You're only three points. Sitting in fourth. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why we needed VJ and Kent to run. So I could only be like two places behind. Mm-hmm. But we got, we got, uh, we're four points behind. So we're in the, we're in the mix for sure. Yeah. But I, I think that uh, like being a slightly taller athlete will have its advantages in this one, but it also have its disadvantages on the burpee move. So like it, it's a pretty even just get out and how, how big of an engine and how much are you willing to suffer type of workout. So I think totally. that the, the thing that a lot of people, they're going to, a lot of people are probably going to be pretty even, at least at the top of the scoreboard through the 12 or 14 rounds. But I think that after that, that's really, you know, once you reach the 10 or so minute mark, that's where people are going to start to separate. And I think that there, maybe it'll be a little before 10 minute mark, but I think that you'll, you'll see a pretty big separation because it's going to be really tempting to, you know, stay on the ground an extra second and catch your breath when your arms start getting heavy or, you know, just to, to, yeah. Not After you finish your a round dumbbell. of burpees. Yeah. Don't pick up the dumbbell just to give yourself a second. Like, yeah. absolutely. Um, so yeah, definitely shouts to Sergey. He's in a great spot. He's going to have 
I mean, there are a lot of good athletes in this. So I, I don't think his lead is safe. And I, we'll talk about that. I want to kind of dive into what this workout is and what that kind of looks like. Um, I don't think his lead is necessarily safe. Dude, Forrest just posted a video and the way he was finishing those burpees, box jump overs, he was like flying. In the 16th <laughs> so right. minute doing that. And you know that he was even faster throughout it. Like I'm telling you, Chris Woolley is going to be super dangerous, but Forrest is so good at burpees. Yeah. Yeah. And just getting up and over that box. So yeah, he, he might, he might catch him. And, and but, um, I, I also think that there are going to be some CrossFit athletes who step in here, just like in gripper chipper, who are like, Whoa, where'd this person come from that they might not have the running engine, but in terms of just that anaerobic, just freak ability, granted it's a 16 minute event. It's kind of hard to be fully anaerobic the whole time, but yep. it's, it's going to, I think some CrossFit athletes that aren't as well known are probably going to do pretty well at this one. Damn it. Um, yeah, we needed runners to show out last time. They didn't. Yeah. And now CrossFit athletes are going to show up for this one. Um, so let's kind of go over what Burpee Mountain looks like and what it is going to encompass. And then we'll kind of talk about how the athletes and, and who we think are going to do well and what it's going to take to do well in this. So Burpee Mountain, the it is a 16-minute AMRAP. It is an ascending ladder starting at 2. It's going 2, 4, 6, 8, et cetera, as, many as, you, as far as you can get in the 16 minutes of burpee box jump overs and single dumb single weight loaded shoulder loaded box step overs i think that's what i've been calling basically you have one weight and carry it over one side of your nipple line on your back yeah above your nipple line is is what they're saying on that so yeah that's that's literally what they're saying so the rules for burpee mountain it seems really straightforward they have not been if you're following this it's been a little bit maddening in terms of what they how they're kind of changing things and and you know i've been saying the whole time like i'm giving them grace i'm so excited i'm really happy with this event that it's something for us to do but this has been an absolute disaster so like the first that you the the order changed. <laughs> so in the rule book, it was first box step overs and then burpees. It's not anymore. It's burpees first. And that then was literally rule- what I was going to say, because Chris Woolley messaged me before this. And he said, it's burpees first. I just asked Hunter, make sure Rich stresses this on the podcast. It's burpees first. And it changed. Right. And like he yeah. said that in his video, and I- I'm guessing when he releases that YouTube video or the event video, they'll go over that as well. In the rule book, it also states something about you need to face the box and straddle a line that goes from the box so that it ends up being box facing burpees. That's also not the case. So there was, they posted the video and the head judge, whose name I, I, uh, escapes me right now, Mike made it Jamar. clear. He's like, yes. Yeah. He was like, it can be lateral or box facing. And the line that you need to put on the box is, is not mandatory. It is uh, optional. So it's not box facing anymore. But as it was written in the rule book, it was saying that you, it needed to be box facing. So you jump over the and turn and look at the box, and do a burpee. Now you can just go side to side, do a burpee as, as long as you cross over to the other side. The other discrepancy was if it had to be a jump versus a step up and over. So the rule here is that you can step up but both feet have to touch the top of the box. You can't step on it with one foot and you just clear over it like like you're going up steps. You have to have both feet touch. So it's a jump or a step up with two feet that touch the top of the box when you're doing the um with doing both of them, doing burpee box jump overs or the step overs, both feet have to touch the box on every movement that you're doing. And I think that's it. Did I get it? Yeah. So basically just do the burpees first, 
make sure that your 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 body's on the ground on one side of it you can hop facing the bar or facing the box or parallel to it and then as soon as you're done with those numbers just do the same exact number of reps with the weight above nipple line like you said and just get one side or the other make sure both feet get on the top of the box and just get it done quickly and you can use a dumbbell or a kettlebell which we were talking about uh off air and that's another different type of strategy that you can use for this so let's talk about the different strategies that you can use for this because it does seem pretty straightforward but with the the allowance to kind of manipulate the movements however you would like and which object you can use for the weighted purpose it can kind of add a little some fun wrinkles in here so let's kind of go through that when in terms of the let's talk about the burpees first since that's first yep. so box facing versus lateral burpees which one would you do jack lateral all the way like every single time that you have to do a 180 spin it's probably going to add half a second on your thing and you're doing well over 100 reps probably closer to 200 reps during this whole thing 200 times half a second, that's 100 seconds, that's a minute 40. So someone essentially has a minute 40 extra on you of time to complete reps in in a contest like this. It's going to make a huge difference. Now, the argument against that is that lateral can be a little bit more exhausting for some people. They seem to be more challenging. There is a stability part. It's harder to jump up and onto the side onto a box. Or box facing, you may feel a little bit more efficient where you're jumping two feet, forward and your hips are facing the box so you can get up there and then just jump down to the other side and maybe not face the box but do the burpee in a lateral position and then just turn and jump over it it would definitely be slower but it might be more comfortable i I guess if you're facing the box like your your feet are far away from it your head is essentially next to the box as you pop your feet up you can almost go like a leapfrog into the hop so maybe that does help some people personally i think that if you have the ability to go laterally it's going to be better it's going to obviously use more more of your explosive ability and that might kind of fade towards the end of the workout but i i can see the pros and cons of each maybe if you're not as high of a level athlete if you want to actually not chip your shins or anything while you're jumping up there and just have a more confident move most people are used to hopping forward as opposed to laterally then sure if you don't mind losing the half a second per rep or so that might be the better technique because you might not save half a second because you're nervous hopping sideways or stepping up sideways Right. I think it just boils down to your comfort level. And if you had the ability to practice this in the month leading up to it and you feel good about going up and over and that it's not going to make you completely exhausted. And if it does make you completely exhausted, you could always do a lateral burpee and then just turn forward and just jump over or step up and over it as well. (laughs) I mean, jumps are going to be faster, right? But stepping over is faster than resting so that you're okay to do the jump. So I would stress that like if you're, if you pop up on the burpee and you feel like jumping is going to be too exhausting, just step right on it. Don't even think about it. Like don't yep. waste time making a decision between jumping or stepping up and over. It's not going to be that big of a difference in the grand scheme of things. If you're that tired, you're going to need to just keep moving. Yeah. Ma- just, maybe like once you reach minutes 14 and 15, it's like, I've, I've got to go that just go all up. I probably wouldn't even do it in minute 14. I'd wait till like the last 30 seconds of your your thing if you're really nervous forcing about jumping. jumping and then you're yeah. like, all right, here's where I'm going to start jumping. I haven't done it the whole time. That's when you save it for totally. um, just because that's going to be where you squeak out a couple more reps on everybody. I completely agree. And when it comes to the carry, we're just going to call it the carry, the box step over. Um, how would you kind of approach the box step over? Well, I know that uh, we, you mentioned we, we talked over 
uh, or we talked off air like a month or so ago when kind of this, the hint that this workout was coming and Hunter posted a video where he was kind of doing some step overs and some uh, burpee overs as well. And I was like, okay, here's what it's probably going to be. And this is early on in my Achilles issue. So I probably shouldn't have done this, but I did. Um, (laughs) But anyway, what I wanted to do was complete 20 weighted box step overs, just comparing the, I guess the weight holding position where I use a a 50 pound dumbbell or a 24 kilogram kettlebell. And that's about two to two and a half pound difference in terms of weight, or I think it's 2.3 exactly. But, um, some people like the way that a dumbbell feels versus the kettlebell and the position or how it kind of sits on your, your body. Other people are like, I'd rather save the 2.3 pounds. That's 2.3 pounds that less that I have to lift every single time that I'm going over it. Personally, I found that I was faster with the kettlebell than using the dumbbell. Um, I just liked how it was more of a point load as opposed to you have multiple pressure points that might not be evenly distributed over your head. You can't, you kind of have to use two hands when you're doing that. And I found that with a kettlebell, um, if I put it on one shoulder, I did it 20 reps in 49 seconds. And then when I did it on one shoulder, uh, with the dumbbell, I did 56 seconds. And then if I did it with my left shoulder, it was, it was essentially the same time left or right, but Mm. I was consistently five to six seconds faster with the kettlebell, despite being 2.3 pounds heavier. I was faster with that. That is personal preference, but that was my, my testing. So I, I feel like you, the weight is really not going to make as big of a difference. If it was, you know, squatting and you have like a crap ton of weight over time, that that's a little different, but you are going to get a break in between every movement with the burpees. And I don't think 2.3 pounds are going to be enough to ruin your day. Yeah. And I agree. And the, the kettlebell, you put me onto that. I wasn't, I wouldn't even have tried it. I don't think just because of the weight, the weight changes, but it is way more comfortable it's unbelievably more comfortable. So like it just sets up there really well. It, it balances better than you'd think. You think it kind of wobble around, but it, it doesn't. And, and even it, within the workout, if you need to switch shoulders, it's going to roll to your opposite side better than say like, if you got fatigued, like your like say your shoulders are just get fatigued or just like, it's just wearing down on one side and you want to move it to your opposite side. If a dumbbell is on one of your shoulders, you're going to have to actually like lift it over your head. The kettlebell, you can just kind of like roll it on over to the other side and then it gives you a little bit of that relief because that's something to also consider for this. Like, it's just kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> it just kind of sucks having that thing up there. Just, so, just think also in terms of how kettlebells are designed, they're almost all identical. You have a flat surface, maybe a two to four inch flat area on the bottom of it that's going to sit on the top of your shoulder. Meanwhile, a dumbbell, you have hex dumbbells, you have larger circle ones, you have tighter, like they're all designed differently. So what you have at your place might not be the best option for your body. And you might get these weird pressure points that like just eat up your traps at the end of, end of the workout. And you need those to explode on the, the push-up motion of the burpee later on. And so, or you have this giant eight inch wide, uh, like dumbbell that, for the circle part of it or the disc part of it. And that's just really wide. And now the weights a little bit more towards the outside of your body, as opposed to like the center of your back. So just find what works for you, but I would recommend kettlebells just based on how it rests on your body. And when I was thinking about this, the one part of the dumbbell that I thought would be an advantage was actually getting it onto your shoulder because you can kind of grab the middle of you can grab the bell, the the little dumbbell piece, the knurling of the dumbbell, and then grab it with your other hand on the outside, and just pop it right up. Whereas it might take a little bit of balance 
to maneuver that kettlebell up onto your shoulder, but it's not different at all. <laughs> it's and like get it onto the shoulder and make sure it's in a balanced spot. But when you're actually doing it in real time, the practical movement of it is it's the discrepancy between getting that weight onto your shoulders. It's like negligible. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even worry. Uh, that's what I was worried about. It's like, I'm still going to do dumbbells because I practice with that. I can pop it up and get onto my shoulder really fast, but the kettlebell was just as fast, yeah. if not faster. So what, what's your method? Are you doing a snatch to get it up there? Are you two hands putting it on your shoulder? What's your, cause that's going to save time and you know, some muscle fatigue. Yeah. So with the kettlebell, I'm going to grab it by both, um, like at the base of both horns and essentially kind of like essentially kind of clean it up and over my shoulder. So it'll start in front of me and just kind of pop it up in one motion and flip the kettlebell back onto my shoulder and have it right there. And then it can hang on with one arm. And like, you know, during while you're doing a power hike, you kind of can use your hands to press against your quads and freeing up one hand uh, by being able to have the kettlebell balance so I can press against my quads is kind of helpful as well because you don't have to show full extension at the top of the, the burpee box stepovers. So just having it there to get up and over has, was all, is also pretty helpful. That, that's so. ex- you made a good point right there that I was going to bring up after with the no full extension. Just do the minimal amount of work to get over it. You do not need to stand tall. It's probably going to be in your benefit to not stand up tall because that's going to just be more fatiguing on your hip flexors later in the workout. So personally, like when I was doing it, I, I essentially scooped one hand on the bottom of it and then held the top of the kettlebell um just like by the handle and then put it on my shoulder and the, or which, whichever one was the, the the grip that was the one that stayed on the top mm-hmm. the whole time and then i did a similar thing with using one hand to kind of do the push power hiking method and mm-hmm. i i would essentially uh face it and i would put one foot as close to the thing or as close to the near edge as possible when i stepped up there and then take a really long like pivoting so almost a 180 spin while i was at the top so that i was already facing it by the time that i got over there and it was like a really long step uh, kind of like a it was almost like a crossover type move where right. you're not doing one in front of the other because that that almost requires three feet or three steps as opposed to two when you when you're on the top of it and you want to minimize how long you're on top of there and it allowed me to kind of stay sort of in a crouch position while i was going over it um and i, th- I think that preventing full extension or hip extension is really going to save your hip flexors toward the end because the burpees are going to destroy that. Yeah. <laughs> so, and th- it, this will burn up your quads. Like it's going to feel like you're climbing it. Like I was surprised. Like I thought this was going to feel very much like a CrossFit workout, like unlike any like different than what you would feel in obstacle course racing. But like it, it kind of felt like climbing. <laughs> yeah, It kind of feels like that. It's, it's a good simulation and everybody knows it's, everyone has the same 60 minute cap. It's not like you're doing the six mile where it might take you a little under 30 minutes and it might take other people 50 minutes. Like everybody has the same constraints. Pace it knowing that you have to go 16 minutes. Everyone else is going to have to go the same, same rate. Um, and, but yeah, o- overall, I think that it's, it's really easy to get, go out too hot thinking that 16 minutes is really short, but you're really going to want to, uh, hold on to that or, you know, hold on to something for the end of it so that you can close strong. This is something that is very hard. The pacing of this is really challenging because it, it's not like, okay, I'm going to go run five ten, and I know how that's going to feel. It's like, I'm going to just go at a pace that's I think sustainable and just hope that I don't die. So super hard. Uh, and like finding that balance. So I think that multiple attempts is going to be helpful for this be, 
because of the pacing aspect or if you're not if you don't have a good idea if you didn't get a chance to practice it beforehand um like i was trying i I had planned to practice this last week before my six mile attempt but it, it just didn't work out and i just wasn't able to so I need to like figure out what pacing kind of looks like for this. And so giving multiple attempts for this, so you can kind of learn that pace is definitely going to be helpful because the movements, they're not necessarily fast. Any of them are, are like, they're all going to take a little bit of time to move through them all, but like figuring out like where that point is, where you're going to absolutely self destruct is going to be hard. So I think it's, and it's what's hard too. Like I don't know how to, guide people toward this. And it's also a crapshoot for who's going to do well, in my opinion, for this, because it's like, do you just go out fast? Like it's an obstacle course, which is how we were talking about. And just whoever dies the least, that's the way to go. Or is there a place where you can kind of negative split this and finish hard? Like I personally don't think so. No, one's I think like splitting this, you, no, you not, might be forest might be able to even split this, but most people you're, I mean, you don't want to go out so hot that you're just, your triceps are dead. You can't get up on the burpees. Uh, your hip flexors are destroyed from not doing a smart positioning when, when you're doing the step overs. But I 100% agree. You're not going to negative split a rate or an event like this. No. So it's almost better just to kind of get into that pain cave kind of zone and just not, don't stop. Yeah. Like, don't rest on the transitions. Like, make a point to pick that thing up and move and start reps as fast as possible. If you're going to rest for the burpees, rest with your chest on the ground. So that you're already kind of through one of the reps. Don't just don't put your hands on your knees. Don't like put the kettlebell uh, kettlebell down and like circle around and wait to start the next round. Like that's where this workout's going to be where it's going to be make or break is where the transitions are. So you have to really just kind of put yourself in that position and just hold on. Once you get the kettlebell or the dumbbell on your shoulder, don't put it down. Like if you have to stand oh there God, and catch no. your breath for a few seconds, leave it up there because it's so much more energy just to, you know, put it back on there and re-rack it. Um, and another thing to, to keep in mind is placement at the end of every rep. So if you're hopping off the box, you want it at an easily accessible place as opposed to, oh, now I have to walk two seconds to the other side, then walk two seconds back. Now I can start my step overs again. How would you go about placement for that? I would just put it like right at the head of the box, just slightly tucked into it, just so it's out of the way from the burpees. Yep. And just so it's easy to kind of reach and grab with two hands, just like literally right past the box and just set it down there. Now, would you sort of do a, a cross method? I don't know if that's allowed actually, but like where you do burpees one direction and then your your step over is the other direction because of where the, the weight's placed at the end? I suppose. Uh, I'd probably I suppose you could, but I'd I but it, the same direction the whole time. Yeah, because it would make if you were the standard box that um like the rogue box, which is the, the twenty, the twenty four, and the thirty. If you did that, it would make the step over it's longer. A longer distance. Yeah. yeah. Um. So it'd be interesting, but that would even like kind of moving around. I would just do everything the same way, back yeah. and forth. Um. You you want perfect symmetry this whole workout? Like, don't start right. You know, flailing in one direction or get or getting off. So just. Have, have the same precise movements every single time. That's how I would recommend. And if you feel like you need to step up and over, say with your right leg and like, that just feel like, and you need to kind of like spin around and figure out how to get there each time. I would just deal with how shitty the left leg felt. <laughs> I would just do like, you would lose a lot of time and at least in the early reps. And if you start to lose strength later, okay, then 
then do that later on. But I wouldn't try to just use your strong leg every single step up and over. Oh, and no. I wouldn't. Yeah. And I wouldn't overthink that if you're going to do box burpee box step overs, just like whatever leg pops up, just go. Yep. <laughs> Don't worry about the symmetry on that either. Just like one of them is going to get crossed up a little bit and have a slightly different use pattern. It's just like tires. You need to rotate your tires eventually because the, the wear is a little different. This is 16 minutes of bad wear. Like you're, you're a certain right. part of one leg is not going to be impacted the same as another leg. But I would 100% if you are like, say that you lift it up and you're on the round of 16 and you lift it up and it's on your left shoulder. Once st- keep it on your left shoulder that whole time and make sure that like your first step up is with you. Just do a mental note. Like, all right, I put my right leg the first on the box. I get to the other side. Now I need to go my left leg. Or if you want, you can do every single time the, the weight is on my left side. I'm always going to step up on my right. And then when you reach the round of 18, now the weight's on your right side. And now every single rep, I'm going to step with my left, but make sure that you're not doing hundred percent same leg for your, your drive for all reps. You'll never make it through this. Yeah. You're definitely going to, it's, it's going to be imperfect. And again, this isn't, this isn't a workout designed for efficiency. (laughs) It's not something you're doing for, to get stronger long-term. This is a competition. So like do your best, but like, it's not going to be perfect. So don't, don't worry about it too much. Do like have some sort of plan, um, for that, but you should have already had that in practice. And what do you think about it's like planning for this is hard. I know like, so do you think it's advantageous to have a plan and stick with it or just kind of how we mentioned before, just kind of like get into the pain cave and deal. I I think it's going to be really concerning for some people when they're like two, four, six, eight, 10, they're they're crushing rounds and that's 30 reps. And then they do 12 and 14. And it's like, wait, that took like almost the same amount of time that it took me to do five rounds before that. So it's going to get progressively harder and harder to, reach that next level essentially. So don't get discouraged. And if you reach the round of 10 at the five minute mark, you might only get a few more rounds out of it just based on the the pure numbers on there. You might only reach the round of 16 or 18 at that point. And I I think that the best of the best are probably going to be somewhere, probably finishing 22, somewhere in the 24 range. But I think Mm -hmm. that a lot of people are probably going to be in that 16 to 20 range, but don't, go out too hot on your twos and fours. Cause you're not really making too much of a dent in the whole picture. Yeah. Like they will slow down substantially from there. Um, something that I was thinking about with this, because this is a, this workout is, you know, it is, it is going to test kind of like your carry ability under fatigue. So how well you do in carries and also your, your climbing legs. It's kind of like what these things are positioned. The European racers and like the Asia, the racers from Asia, they don't necessarily do carries that much, right? It's not as much of a focus as the like U.S. Spartan races. Killian told me that the hardest carry he's ever done was in um, uh, Austria when he did that huh. uh, the Tyrol race. A couple, he's done that a few times. Um, it's like a mile uphill just with the sandbag. They don't have as many like double sandbags, but they have chains. Um, the chains, yeah, d- different weighted implements. I-, I know that Sparta Greece they had like a one mile carry with with a sandbag just in the middle of the all those olive fields and stuff so that's a i mean they they definitely do have a component of of heavy carriers for sure i don't think it's spartan it's it's as much of like the grind and and the suffering as it is in u.s as opposed to technical proficiency with a lot of their obstacles but it definitely still does exist and I, i don't think 50 pounds with a single kettlebell stepping over a box for 40 to 60 seconds in a row. I don't think that that's going to, you know, be a, as much of a difference maker in terms of their carry ability. Yeah. And as I was thinking for the guys who do well in OCR worlds, that Sergey and Ivan, 
uh, like if that would make a difference, like how they are more set up to do well in something like a grip and like being able to move your body through space as opposed to grinding up and down hills with a sandbag, if that will make a difference in the results for this. Let's be real though. Most of the time, the best carriers are the best runners. It's that you like Ryan Woods, a lot of people didn't think he was a really good carrier. He often outcarries carries. people like Atkins and Ryan Kent, who a lot of people look at as like, oh, they're they're great at, it. and they are great at it. But you'll see, like I watched Mark Batras do a, a one mile double sandbag carry at the Spartan Combine a couple of years ago, and I was like, what? I didn't think he was actually good at this, but he had the best engine out of everybody. And once it's up there, if you don't put it down and you've got a great aerobic engine, you're probably going to be really good at it. And this is essentially a climbing movement as well lifting it up there as opposed to, you know, a long heavy carry with a bunch of technical terrain. I, I personally feel like it's not going to be as big of it's a not gonna matter as much. Yeah. Yeah. Cause this is an endurance workout, <laughs> you know, this is just a grind and go. It's like a, it's 16 minutes. Uh, so it's 5k time domain. Yep. So this is still like an endurance endeavor. So I think the results, I actually don't know, man. I'm, I think everyone in obstacle course racing thinks they're going to crush this workout. I think everybody thinks they're going to win it. Um, who do you think is going to do well? We talked about Forrest doing really well, and I, I agree. I think he will be right up there. I mean, he has something to fight for, too. I mean, he's right there for a win on this thing or hanging on to a podium. Uh, who else in this race could kind of mix things up with the top? I'm looking at who's good at high rocks, and that's like Chris Woolley, Matt Kempson. I, uh, I, I, personally think that the two of them are going to do really well. Tyler Veerman's a great climber and he looks like he put on a little bit of mass. I think he could do pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the weird thing is a lot of people who are at the top of the sport don't really practice burpees because they don't plan on doing them during races. So right. this is going to be a lot of burpees. And I think that that's going to throw people like they're going to get a little fatigued in areas they're not used to. Um, I would have loved to have seen someone like Isaiah in here because he's a burpee mm-hmm. monster. Um, but I, I do think that a lot of the people who are good climbers and have a little bit of functional fitness ability, they're probably going to do really well. And I, I, I personally think you're going to do really well this one. Thank you. I, 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 I hope I can just hang on. Like, yeah, I'll, I should do better than this than I did in freaking gripper chipper. Yeah. Um, so you would have met- top, top three predictions right there uh, for this event, men and women. In this and event? I guess we'll close it out. Cool. Yeah. And we'll talk how much time we got. We got about 10 minutes. I want to talk about age group real quick, but top three for men. You want me to go first? You want to go first? Uh, you can go first because you're you're definitely you have a little bit of bias. You being in it, yeah. I would think that if Kent does this, this seems like an event Kent should win, right? That's re- that's a good point. I don't know if you. I'll I'll text him after this. Let me t- let me find out. But because he's big, he has great endurance. Like this weight is going to be nothing for him if he does this. I think he would has a chance to get this the thousand. I think Mike Moralia would be the same if he does this as well. Like same kind of body composition, just big jack dude with a good engine and so that's if they both do it but we'll go off the people who did it last time so i'm definitely gonna put i'm gonna put forrest up there um i'm going to say i'm gonna put nick Riker up there too that's my guy he's just gonna grind it and then i'm gonna put me i'm picking me all right there we go i like it um i'm gonna go forrest first chris woolley second and assuming he does it i'll put matt kempson third Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kimson's a good one for this for sure. Um, cool. And I was sandbagging. I actually did that this 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 morning. I will not disclose my time okay. or my place, but um, you it was. It, you gotta wait. It was fucking hard. <laughs> it was yeah. really do really that, hard. Uh, do, do you think that a lot of people are underestimating this? 
I did. Okay. I definitely did. I was, was it, was it like you reached minute 11 and you're like, Oh crap. Like, yeah. Like that. yeah. Mm-hmm. It was, it was kind of how the 15 minute treadmill test, the 15 at 15, how like the first five minutes are terrible. And then the second five minutes are a little bit worse. And then it's just like trying to finish out. It was almost like that. Exactly. Like at five or six minutes, I was like, this is already hard. And then at 10 minutes, I was just like at that pace where it's trying to just continue to move. That was where it moved into step up. Oh, step ups at like 10 consistently. And then just finishing it out and trying to get it. When you get into those rounds of like twenties, you know, that ends up being like, let me just try to get through this <laughs> any way I can. And just trying to move through you, it. Uh, like the hip pops essentially for burpees or did you do step ups at any point? Uh, like the very end, I was probably doing step ups. I was okay. like worming my way up. My that, like, knees are just like, like towards the end. It's just like I just have to get my stand up again. I'm gonna. Do it was it. just a, right it now. was a bloodbath at the very end. Um, yeah, that's when I saw Forrest's video. Have how he finished. I was like, I don't look yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> let's, look, let's look at uh, the women's side for the, yeah. the top three. So I think both of us were going to agree that uh, Lauren is probably going to win that one. That, mm-hmm. That's just my guess. Um, I. Her, I think Rebecca is going to do really well. And I think Kelly Sullivan are going to do really well. Um, I, I don't know enough about the CrossFitters, but I saw Danielle Dunlap. She got second in gripper chipper only eight seconds off of, um, off of Lauren weeks. And then Katie Knight, she, she got third in that event and she's just, just really good at functional finish from the results that I've seen. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a CrossFitter sneak up there, but I, I would say Kelly Sullivan's going to have a really good race or a really good event for someone who's not, who hasn't done great in the whole competition in terms of points. Um, but I think this is Lauren's event to win. I think you're right. I can't disagree with Lauren. I'm going to put Ida at the, at number two, just cause she's in it. She's going to yeah. be gaming. She'll be ready to rock. And I'm going to agree with you with Kelly too. Cause uh, she's rock solid for stuff like this and it's up her wheelhouse. So, um, so Lauren might win by one point. That could be, that'd be crazy. That's what I'm hoping. That'd yeah. be great. I hope it's tight too. I hope I it's like, it's a like really, one really... rep at the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It comes down to the very, very last. Um, so we've got a couple minutes. So I just want to go through some of the age group stuff. Some, there are some compelling races here, like the male yeah. 18 to 18 to 29, David Fox and Brett Mazza are one point apart going into this. So again, that's also going to make, a uh, this, this is going to change everything. And, um, uh, David did better than, uh, DJ did better than him in the gripper chipper, but Brett seems to have him in running. So his endurance might be a little bit better. That one's going to be a shootout. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, Men 30 to 39, you you also have a tie with 19 points and it's kind of going to be whoever wins between Matt and Trevor for, for that race. James Delory is tied for third. He has the most all time fourth place finishes without a podium in Spartan history. So I hope he gets the podium here. That's why this is compelling. I was like, Oh man, James, if he gets fourth in this, don't choke again. You've got it. You've got it. <laughs> he's got this. Yeah. Um, I think he'll hold on. You know, he's a good OCR athlete. Uh, he'll be able to handle the carries. He's, he has good endurance. So he'll be able to, to, uh, hang in there. Um, Matt rocks running away with the, the 40 to 49 completely sandbagged it. <laughs> Completely sandbagged, Matt Rock. No, yeah, I'm just kidding. But, but I did, I did, because we the, in the first episode we talked about how their all their names were uh, Matt and yeah, yeah. Now it's like Matt, Matt, Mark, Mark Polzine, Matt, uh, Matt, and Mike Day. Mike Day, I think, is a Bracken athlete uh, who is a, is a beast of an athlete, and they're all kind of close. But it's all a bunch of guy, a bunch of white guys with the white guy names up there, <laughs> yeah, doing well. Yep. Um, but I think that's Matt rocks 50 to 59. It's pretty close for the top 
three. Um, but looks like Canada for the win. Canada is going to take that win. Tom Petrison, Pet- Petrician, Petrician, yeah. And then it's down to Richard Bogue and his Canadian, French Canadian counterpart Jean Luc Convoya, <laughs> who uh, they're they're tight, five and six, five points to six points. So Jean Luc has a CrossFit that. affiliate next to him, so this could be uh, a, some trouble for Richard. But if if Richard does burpees like his son Forrest, I that, think that's true. I think it'll be all right. If burpees are genetic, then things are going to get out of control in the 60 69. That'll be an interesting uh, test right there. On the female side, Aaron Kling and Chris Newell are tied with six. Wow. So they've averaged top three in every single thing. That's, that's impressive. So this is going to be also pretty compelling. What's going to come down to it in the final one where uh, Aaron seemed to have beat her in the runs. But uh, by quite a bit, actually. But um, yeah, so if it comes down to the endurance of things, Aaron might run away with this. Um, shouts to Shayna McLean, my homie. Hopefully she makes some moves in Burby Mountain to get into that podium. 30-39, uh, it's more the race for second, third, and fourth. Uh, Jamie Latimer, Jillian Heller, and Angelique Chetineau. Yep. They're all separated by two points. So I think Heather uh, Minnick is going to kind of run away with that one. Seems like it's her race to lose. Yeah, she didn't tap out on Gripper Chipper either, so definitely got some good functional yeah. fitness ability. Yeah, I finished second. She has six points, so, I mean, she's top-notch athlete. 4049 uh, is close up top. One point separates Kelly Williams and Michelle Wall, and they finished first or second, but both of them in every event. So yeah, good luck. <laughs> two woman race. Yeah. It looks like they're going to take it down. You want to make predictions on this one? Uh, I'm going to go Michelle wall. Looks like she won the CrossFit style workout. Um, although no, Kelly Williams won the run by like four minutes. So I'm going to go Kelly. Cause... Yeah. I'm taking Kelly on this yeah. one. And then 50, 59 Darla O'Connor. This is also separated by one point. Jana Eastis also taking first or second in every one of the four seconds apart in the, in the six mile run. So that you don't really have a a way to differentiate the two of them right there. So that'll be a good battle. Jenna seemed to, she finished gripper chipper. That's impressive. She beat VJ's time. Yeah. Yeah, she did. Um, so I'm taking Jenna. Yeah. Taking Jenna on this one. And this might be, end up at a, at a lock. I wonder what they're going to do for, um, tiebreakers i don't, I don't know probably just honestly flip, yeah. probably just flip a coin probably just have to do rock paper scissors or something and then heidi williams and christina olsen are also four and five first and second every event's gonna boil down to it who are you taking uh christina she she ran 60 on the dot she didn't she Whoa. just missed breaking an hour that's brutal just look one tenth of a second off of that but i'm gonna go with heidi because everyone knows her and she seems to do really well in the uh the master's divisions throughout ocr history Shouts to USA. I'm, I'm backing it. Uh, cool. So that will wrap us up today. You know, awesome job. Everybody's out there competing. We got one more go at this just to see what we got. So just, I hope everybody gets out there, pushes themselves and, and takes this for what it is just an opportunity to compete. There's not many of those. So even if you're buried in the results, show up and race. And, and do your first trial before Thanksgiving so you have a little less weight. That's, to, that's totally true. I, that's why I did mine today. I'm going to do my second one on Thanksgiving morning, and then I'm just going to hang out. And don't forget, gyms might not be open on Thanksgiving, so yes, be aware of that. Do your homework. All right, Jack, where can people find you? Uh, at Jack underscore Bauer underscore OCR on Instagram. Cool. We'll make sure to link in the show notes. I'm reinforced underscore running underscore rich, and we're signing off. We'll talk to you All soon. All right. See ya. Great, great. I hope you guys enjoyed that one. Jack is my guy. 
We'll be back next week. We're going to recap the whole damn thing. And again, thank you guys for reaching out. Keep letting us know how you're feeling about the competition. And we will make sure to make note of that on the show for the final recap. And of course, check out that link in the show notes to learn more about the reinforced running OCR strength and conditioning coaching, or shoot me a direct message for questioning. We will be back on Wednesday with an interview with Taylor Thomas and myself. We're going to do a deep dive on the mindset of coaches in the industry and some of the direction about how to set your own goals and how to troubleshoot those problems that do come along the way. It's a really fascinating conversation. I really enjoyed it very much. So be on the look at that for Wednesday as opposed to your typical Tuesday drop. Great. Talk to you then. Goodbye.